I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Georgia Lynn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors, and you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 44, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. We've heard warnings for a number of years now about the impact of ash dieback in our forestry sector, but what's the current situation and can we find a solution? On a positive note, the government announced in November that 1.3 billion euro is to be invested in Irish forestry. Chagas Forestry Advisor John Casey joins me to discuss. John, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Cole. And on my own today, no Deirdre, so I'm flying solo, so go easy on me, John, but we'll, <laughs> no we'll, do, we'll do our best anyway. John, I suppose, look, Ash Dieback, people have heard about it. Um, there's a fear around it, and hopefully you will, you'll be able to fill us in on the gaps. But first of all, what is it and where did it come from? Okay, so Ash Dieback disease, it's a, obviously it's a serious disease for ash. It comes, it's a fungal pathogen. It's called uh, Hypensiphus fraxinus. Nice handy name. Called, yeah, it is. It rolls off the tongue. Uh, it used to be called Chalara fraxina. So, you know, people talk about Chalara. But ash dieback's disease is what it's known as. So it's a fungal disease. started in Asia. It's been making its way across Europe for the last, probably since the late 90s into the early 2000s. And it was first recognized here in 2012. Uh, unfortunately, the disease... It affects the ash trees, both young trees and older trees, and it has very high mortality. How how did it get to Ireland? So is, is it brought in on a boat, or what way does it normally come in? Or? It's believed that it came with nursery stock from the Netherlands. So it came in on nursery stock, they believe, and then it spread out from there. Like yeah. I said, it's a fungal pathogen, so it's airborne, so it can travel quite a distance. It yeah, could no. blow up to 40 kilometres. I remember hearing someone saying that it could have potentially blown across from the United Kingdom side. Is, is that a myth or is that, is that a possibility? Uh, highly unlikely. The prevailing wind is southwesterly. So no, it would have been it would have come in with plant stock, I would think. Yeah. And how bad are we compared to the rest of Europe? Or is it a global issue or is it just a European-wide issue? It's mostly a European-wide issue. Uh, one of the things is it originates in Asia and the ash, you know, the ash type of ash trees in Asia have grown with this disease for a very long time and therefore they're reasonably tolerant of it. Uh, it's a bit like um, it's bit like smallpox attacking the Indians uh, when the Europeans first arrived. Our ash trees aren't used to it and therefore it's going to have a very high impact. Yeah, and I suppose if you have ash trees at home, what does it look like on a tree? Can, is it easier to identify it? Um, well, I suppose what you'll first notice is that there isn't as much leaf as there was in the crowns of the trees. Okay, that would be one of the first indicators. Now, other diseases could cause this as well. Uh, so if you're looking at it and the crown looks like it's thinning out and it's not growing quite so much, that would be one indicator. There's also uh, what happens is the inoculum lands on the leaves. It goes then through the petiole into the stem. And oftentimes it forms this kind of diamonds, characteristic diamond shaped lesion where the, the, the petiole or the stalk of the leaf meets the branch, okay? And that can be a good indicator of this as well. But really, you're seeing loss of growth, loss of vigor, loss of leaves on the tree, okay? Uh, particularly if you're, you know, you might get blackened leaves in late May, June, down to frost, but if there's darkened leaves on the trees in July and August, it's likely that it's ash dieback disease. And if you do see something like that, it, I suppose if you're not sure, if a kind of a, I suppose a fool like me that's not really used to looking at certain trees, would, would do we contact someone like yourself, or is there someone you could call? Or 
Yeah, certainly. You could contact the... There's eight forestry advisors with Chagas. You could around the country. You could contact one of them. They'll talk to you over the phone. We have a lot of information on our website, uh, forestry. Uh So we could have on the website there. There's a lot of pictures. You can see it there as well. If you have a plantation, again, you could have one of the foresters come and have a look at it, and we can talk you through what the options are. One of the big indicators for plantations would be if the site is 15 to 20 years of age, it's quite mature. Normally, during the summer, you'd have full canopy closure and you'd have very little briars on the ground. If you're walking around in July and August and there's briars and an undergrowth there, it means there's a lot more light coming in. There's more light because there's less leaves up the canopy. So that would be one of the warning signs, definitely. Unfortunately, I've gone through this during COVID. Maybe it's because I was more time looking around and walking the fields and that, but... Uh, we came across an, uh, an Astrid home and, and we, we identified it was a problem. I'm going to ask you now if I did the right thing, but what, what is the procedure if, if you're a farmer or forestry owner or landowner at home and you identify um, that it is ash dieback, I suppose, as regards treatment or removal or replacement of the tree or what? what is, is there a, a kind of an A to Z guide on what to do? Yeah, like I said, there's information on the website. The main thing is there is no treatment. Okay, it's not going to happen. You're out in the wild. Even if you treated a tree, it's likely to get reinfected again. So if it's got it, it has it. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing then is it would depend on how what the extent of the disease is. Some trees are going to be tolerant anyway. So they're going to get the disease and then they're going to survive it. And that, you know, they'll come out the far side. Unfortunately, that's only about 5% of all the trees. Okay, so most trees, if they get infected, are going to die. How fast they're going to die then will depend on the age of the tree and how much stress it's on. So if it's a very young tree, it's probably going to die within a year or two. Okay, so if it's a plantation less than 10 years of age. If it's a more mature tree, it could be three to five years, maybe a bit longer. Okay, so like I said, if it's under stress and it's in very wet conditions, a bit like your own health, you're on the, if you're under pressure in the first place, you're more prone to diseases. Okay, so it might be the ash dieback disease that would kill it. Or it might be some other disease that will come in on the back of that and finish it off. And sh- should we, how do you dispose of the tree? So if you take one down, should you burn it? Or is there chemically sprayed with it? Or what, what way does it work? No, there's no issue with burning it. Uh, yeah. Ash makes great for fi- great firewood. It's a very high calorific value. So dry it out and burn it. Absolutely. Would be a great way of doing it. And just wondering uh, if you leave in the corner of a field or something, is there potential for the dead one to pass the, the fungus on to um, other trees maybe? It, there probably is a little bit, but the fact is, if the trees already died from these, the inoculum load or the fung- among the fungus in the area is probably very high anyway. So it's a, it's a, you know, that bus, <laughs> that bus is already passed by. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I suppose once the tree is gone, I, uh, and is there, is there, a pl- should you report Ashtay back? Is there central reporting systems that the government tracks, or what way does it work? Yeah, there was a system that was there actually in terms of reporting uh, ash dieback, but since I think it was since twenty twenty or so, uh, they haven't they haven't routinely sampled anymore. Uh, it, it's so prevalent now; it's in every county, uh, you know, without fail. So no, it's not reportable as such. Yeah. What I would say is that if the tree is going to die, maybe you should consider if it's a particularly mature tree, could you underplant with maybe shade tolerant species at the time and get those up and going so that you don't have a situation where you have all tree and then no tree. 
you know, if you had something else coming up behind it, at least you, you'd have a bit of cover. You know, that'd be an idea. Particularly if it's around the house or around the farmyard, that kind of thing. Uh, within a plantation, there is a, there is a reconstitution and underplanting scheme. Uh, so there is a there is grant available there for both clearing the ground and for underplanting. So that might be an option as well. Is there any hope that that five percent that you mentioned of, of resistant trees could be developed or worked on to create a resistant strain of trees? I suppose. Yes, uh, Chagas is working in it at the moment. Um, we identified, I think, about uh, a thousand genotypes that were. Irish genotypes and we transplanted them into areas where there was a high infection in Lithuania and other places and then identified approximately 200 genotypes that were tolerant and we're what we're hoping to do is to micropropagate those that are proved to be tolerant and be able to produce uh, an ash uh, an ash tree that will be tolerant to the species the problem with this is it's going to take time you know, you're looking at a period of probably somewhere between five and 20 years by the time you actually prove that they're tolerant and grow them on and everything else. So, yes, there will be species of ash into the future, but it's not going to address the trees that are already in the ground. You're kind of after half answering my next question then. Really, if if something goes wrong with our ash trees and we, should, we shouldn't really be planting ash trees from now on, then is that? Is that the kind of message? And if, if you have to replace one, you probably should plant something else until these new hybrids maybe come in. Yes, my advice would be not to plant ash. In fact, uh, ash is currently off the planting list. You won't get grant aided for planting ash under the, the current forestry programme or the new one that's starting in 2023. So it's likely our children will be using those bamboo hurls and starting to see popping up all around the place, is it, before this comes online? Um, unfortunately, yes. I think you're probably going to be looking at either composite uh, hurls or bamboo hurls. There is going to be a shortage. Some of the hurley makers would estimate that it'll be within the next three to five years. There'll be quite a constriction. One of the issues is even if the tree is still there, if it has an infection, it tends to stay in the timber. And if it stays in the timber, nobody wants to buy or stay in Yeah, look, um, I'm sure the traditionists will be crying into their tea now listening to this. But look, I'm sure the other hurls will be as good as the next ones. But hopefully uh, the, the, the research comes on board for those hybrid trees. Um, John, I suppose you mentioned that there's uh, some information for people if they want to get in touch. You released a good few videos on Ash Dieback. I suppose it's hard for people to imagine what it looks like on the podcast, but if you have a link, can you tell me a bit about those videos you released? Yeah, sure. So, um, yes, on our website there, on the, the Chagas Forestry website, we have a series of videos. It's also on our YouTube uh, channel. Uh, and what we do is we go through the disease itself, uh, what it looks like, uh, what its impact is, uh, what's your response in terms of alternative species that might work, what could you plant in it to replace it. And there's also uh, some videos on our, our research as well. So it, it would be of interest to people that have ash on their land or are looking for alternative species. There. I'm just wondering now, it's a question I have at home, but I was cut, cut down, there's an ash tree, there was a bit of an issue and it was a young one and I cut it down. It, it grows back, John, does it? Yes, it will. I mean, it, it, it will coppice and it will grow yeah. back. But well, what you'll find is that when it grows back, the young stalks will start turning brown because the fungus or inoculum load will be so high that it will yeah. kill it off within a year or so. Yeah. So it, it would grow back, but it'll die again. 
Perfect. Look, we have enough bad news there. Let's go on to a little bit of good news anyway. The government recently announced, I think it was in November, and in fact, that there's an investment of 1.3 billion into Irish forestry. Uh, with this, this will surely go a long way, I suppose, towards reaching our planting objectives. That's a super amount of money. What's your? Can you give us a bit of a info on that one? Yeah. So the new forestry program is going to be run from 2023 to 2027. And as you say, it's 1.3 billion in total. It's a yeah, it's an enormous sum of money. Uh, I suppose what it, it, there's a couple of different things they're going to focus on. Clearly, there will still be production forestry in terms of conifers, but there will also be a much stronger emphasis on broadleaves. Okay, so th- there'll be a 20% mandatory com- uh, broadleaf component in all plantations, whether you want to plant conifer or not. You'll have to put in 20% broadleaves, and uh, the idea is that they will bring the total amount of uh, new planting broadleaves from 30 to 35%. Okay. Outside of that, then you're also looking at continuous cover forestry. You're looking at forests for water on public lands, emergent forests. So, you know, the grants are very substantial. Their premiums have gone up uh, somewhere between 46 and 66%. So it's very high premiums. For example, if you're looking at what used to be the native woodland scheme, you're looking at a premium now more than 1,100 euros per hectare per year, and it's 20 years for a farmer. Previously, it was 15 years across the board, but they brought back again this kind of uh, farmer rate. So it's going to be 20 years for farmers, 15 for non-farmers. Even even mixed high forests, you know, mainly conifers, it's still 746. Previously, that was 510. So it's a very substantial amount of money. The target is to hit 8,000 hectares per year. Is the target. Uh, at the moment, it's just north of 2,000 hectares. So there's quite a bit of work to be done. But it's critical that this planting is carried out uh, for timber supply, for carbon sequestration, for biodiversity, for water quality. I think the government's certainly putting its money where its mouth is um just i suppose if did i suppose you've been out on a few farms with me and we've been looking for farmers to plant some forestry but i suppose the big thing that farmers are nervous about is once you plant it's in forestry for the for the end of life the rest of life i suppose um but that's not really such an issue is it it is a big deal for some farmers it is a permanent land use change and you know it it has to be understood that it is so however there is a lot of land out there that could made permanently into forestry without affecting the productive capacity of farms, undoubtedly. This new forestry program also sort of encourages smaller areas of forestry being planted. So it doesn't have to be 10, 15 hectares. It could be two hectares or less than two hectares under this native tree area scheme. Okay, uh, So there's different supports there. It could be smaller areas. It could be a combination of uh, not quite uh, hedges and edges, which you could be planting uh, three or four corners of fields together, and so suddenly you have a small block of woodland. So you know there there are different uh, there are different forest types out there and can suit different areas. Yeah, and at the end, say of the twenty years, so the payments are excellent for twenty years, and I know you get an an, an uh, initial grant to to set it up as well, which is really good. Is it four or five thousand or six thousand, like something like that? Is it? Um, but I suppose what happens after the 20 years, 
Um, do you wait for a harvest or do you replant? Or I suppose when I'm really looking to, if people are going to dedicate land to it, can they look at this as being every 30 or 20 years they could look for renewed payments and maybe look at possible pension plans for different generations? Okay, so I, I suppose the, the timeline for conifers would be that you'd probably be looking at between 30 and 40 years if you're going for a clear fell system. So that you would plant it, you'd have the premium for 20 years, You'd probably get thinning that late teen, so say thin it, which is removing some of the crop at 18, 23, 28, and you might cut it all down at 33, 35. Okay, if you had continuous cover forestry, you might instead of cutting it all down, you'll remove some of the trees and then have trees coming up behind it, so you'll never completely clear cut it. But it means that you don't have the cost of replanting it all one go, might work as well. With broad leaves, you're looking at Generally, you're looking at an extended rotation length of probably 50 years plus. Now, there is a pilot scheme out there at the moment where they are going to pay forestry that's out of premium uh, and they're going to pay them this, uh, a stipend to manage it in more, uh, I suppose, more environmentally or more biodiverse sensitive kind of way. Okay, uh, It's a pilot scheme. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, but in in terms of the income stream itself, yes, it it does. You know, unless you're harvesting, it will trail off a small bit. Uh, everybody, you're probably going to ask the next question about carbon credits. Is it? Uh, I was thinking about carbon credits, sorry, because everyone's asking that question. <laughs> yes, it is. But everyone uh, keeps telling me it's way down the line. Is that true? It is down the line, certainly. The yeah. uh, EU is looking at a, a trying to bring up a code that is meant to be published for the end of this year and it's likely that there will be a voluntary carbon code in Ireland within the next two to three years. Uh, one of the questions is, of course, uh, how do you measure this? And it goes back to the same thing with farms at the moment with hedgerows. How do you measure what's in the hedgerow? How much is the sequestering? Uh, and is this offsetting your production or is it a way that you can monetize it? Look, there's no avoiding it. We, our tree production is down and we have to increase it. So hopefully the 1.3 billion will go a long way to that. You're in the game a long time, John. Did, what's your opinion? Do you think it'll help re-engage farmers in the forest in a forest station? Certainly, I think it will. It will make it more competitive with other farming enterprises. And I'm what I'm saying is it's a farming enterprise. It's another farming enterprise, but it's the same thing. Uh, our idea of forestry is that it adds to the farm rather than subtract. Okay. But... You know, you're looking at income streams quite rightly. How does this compare to any other farming income than any other enterprise? How much money is going to bring in? Uh, 1,100 euros per hectare per year for 20 years is a very substantial amount of money if you go for the broadly uh, native forest option. So yes, it will compete, particularly I, I would think with cattle rearing, mixed farming, that kind of thing. Uh, but even amongst dairy farmers, dairy farmers themselves, probably 78% of all dairy farmers have forestry. So there is forest out there. And there's no farm, I think, that could not have some trees, uh, either large or small plantations on it, that wouldn't add to their farm. It's a nice way to put it, actually. It's, it, it's kind of resonates with me now. Most of us have grown grass all our life. It's a singular crop or barley all our life. Uh, it's just, I suppose, we have to start looking in a different way where a, a trees are a crop as well. It's just a longer-term crop type. So, yeah, it's a good way to look at it. Like I said, it's just a, it's another farming enterprise. The whole idea is to have it integrated into it 
rather than somehow thinking of it as separate to the rest of the farm. Farmers are used to trees and hedgerows. Why not have clumps of trees or small woodland areas as well? Yeah, I think that's the trick to it, that you have the ability to put those small areas in. Look, John, I suppose that's all we really have time for today, but really enjoyed the chat and thanks a million for giving us an update on what's going on in forestry. You're most welcome. You can find more information about forestry and ash dieback on the Chagas website at www.chagas.ie forward slash crops forward slash forestry. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Chagas Forestry Advisor John Casey for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.